listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 302. 302, and we're in Oklahoma. Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is great. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's really windy. I, I don't care for the wind. I have short hair. I can't so, see. SBE was kind enough to invite us to their symposium. Well, they invited you. They didn't invite me. They, they, invited, they, didn't, even, they didn't even have a badge made for they me. They invited the podcast, so we're here. We're Do happy, better. We're happy to be here. And actually, we both have a cocktail that I'm going to get to at the very end of the show. So before we get into the news articles, real quick, if you want to leave a review, it's really simple. If you want to try to remember, it's lovethepodcast.com forward OGTW. The easiest thing to do is go in the show notes, click on the link, and you can leave us a review no matter what terminal you're on. Then we have our April mixer, Thursday, April 27th. You'll still have time by the time this show comes out to sign up. The money we raise at our industry mixer goes to Red M to help fight human sex trafficking. So if you join us, you're helping to save a little boy or a little girl's life, and we appreciate that. And it's time to read the reviews page, but you know what we're going to do instead of reading a review? Hmm. Do you remember our last show where we had Kendra wrote in wanting to understand how to get into the cybersecurity business of oil and gas? Yeah. I had... Jason with Honeywell reached out to me and said, send me his contact information. So I connected the two of them and Kendra now has an interview with Honeywell for a cybersecurity job in oil and gas. So audience, just because you're a listener, don't think you can write in and I can help you get a job. But in this case, the podcast helped make the connection so that one of our college listeners could actually get a job in the industry. How cool is that? It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. <laughs> My favorite thing is you've helped so many people in the past that other people will talk to you and be like, hey, you kind of hooked me up and you'll be like, who are you? <laughs> I had somebody recently <laughs> reach out to me that I helped years ago and had forgotten about. So once again, audience, I can't help you get a job. It's just too many of y'all. and We're too busy. But every now and then I make the connection. And it works, which just makes the world a beautiful place. All right. Well, let's get into the news stories. Okay. So first one is IEA still predicts record oil demand in 2023. So here's the best part. Bottom line, I'll sum it up for you. For this year, the world's going to burn 101.9 million barrels per day. That's The whole world? The whole world. That's 101.9 million barrels today. That's about a 15% increase in what the projected was for last year. Now, we've had some demands slow down because a lot of people, myself included, thinks the economy's starting to slow down. But with China's economy starting to, to pick up, the demands can continue to pick up. And no matter what, makes sense. The growth in demand globally for oil and gas is going to continue to go up. I think it's not going to go up as much next year as it went this year, but I still think it's going to grow at least 10% for next year. And it'll probably grow 8 to 15% every year forever. So this is just good industry news, knowing that the demand for oil went up this year and will continue to grow up. Okay. So will chat GPT affect oil and gas jobs? And the answer to that is yes. I just of course. <laughs> we just recently at the API Houston chapter did a panel on this exact thing. And it's really interesting. So if you don't know what chat GPT is, you have to be familiar with AI. AI is the part of your iPhone that when you get in your car, it suggests, hey, I think you might be going to this it, place. It's kind of creepy, to be and honest. And let me pull up a map because this is where you went before. Well, chat GPT is a piece of AI that has an output that is basically 
a natural language. And you're seeing a lot of people use ChatGPT right now to help craft things like blog posts for marketing. You're having students use it to craft term papers. <laughs> which, which, I which, mean, which, I, gosh, don't you wish you had that when you were younger? So, yes. Yeah, so let me tell you, that breaks most school rules about it being original content that you create yourself. But I think that if you can write the prompts for ChatGPT to create your term paper or your essays and the teacher believe it's real, I think that's as valuable a life lesson as writing it yourself because it's what the future is going to bring. Now, whether this is going to affect the oil and gas industry, if you think about every job in the industry that is labor intensive around simple items, things like ChatGPT will affect it soon. So if you think about all the well engineers out there that have, you know, boatloads of Excel spreadsheets with a bunch of field data and they have to clean it up before they can do something with that data. Cleaning it up is something that ChatGBT can help you with, right? Interpreting that data, no, you still need a human, you still need an engineer, but think how nice it'd be if you're a petroleum engineer that you don't have to spend any time cleaning up the data and ChatGPT gives you the cleaned up data in a format that you want it in so that you can read it and make sound business decisions. So, and then the other thing is, even though it will replace some jobs, somebody has to train these models. So it's actually increased more jobs than it's going to get rid of. And the jobs that it's going to get rid of are the ones that are more menial or in some cases, the ones that are more dangerous. I'm so happy that we're bringing AI into this industry. It's in its infancy, but it will continue to grow. Perfect, perfect. All right, these are the countries that will be most hit if oil prices reach $100. Yeah, which unfortunately, I think, depending on what happens with OPEC and world demand, hitting $100 is in the realm of possibilities for this year. If it happens, it's going to be the countries that actually don't produce any petroleum. So think of countries like Japan, India, Germany, France. None of those countries have active petroleum production. And so what happens is they all buy hydrocarbons from other countries. So, of course, the countries that don't produce their own petroleum reserves are going to be hurt the worst. Now, you know, OPEC did a voluntary cut. And you heard me on the last show talk about how part of that cut is OPEC sees the world's economy starting to slow down a little bit which I agree with, but Mm -hmm. it's also a bit of a punishment to the U.S. for not refilling the strategic petroleum reserve. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens if oil hits $100, then it doesn't make any fiscal sense for us to refill the SPR. And countries like India, who's the third largest oil consumer in the world, it's going to really, really hurt their economies. And right now, India is buying a lot of Russian oil at a discount. So we got to keep an eye on this. This is, you know, we talked earlier about how the U.S. dollar at some point may be dethroned as the petrocurrency of choice. This is the type of stuff that will cause that to happen. Once again, nobody gets scared. If it does happen, it's not going to be in my lifetime. But this is one of those things that we really got to keep our eye on, especially the countries that are totally dependent on importing hydrocarbons. Perfect, perfect. Shell's restart of Pierce Field crucial for UK energy security. So the whole reason this article's in here is, hey, everybody that thinks that the industry is going to disappear when somebody like Shell, who has put a lot of money and a lot of PR into their renewable efforts, restart a deep water field in the North Sea, the only reason they're doing that is they know that it's economically viable. So Shell sees this as something that's crucial to their future success as a company. It's the world is still in an energy shortage. It's important that we get these fields back up. And this is another example of how offshore oil has come back, even some deep water stuff, which we'll get to next. Perfect. Equinor begins production at subsea oil field offshore Norway. So this is deep water. This operation is going to be pushing out 50 million BOEs, mostly oil, a little bit of gas. 
here's the favorite thing about this page. Hmm. So this is two production fields tied together with subsea tiebacks with additional pipelines and umbilicals connecting these wells back to a production platform. Guess they did all this work without a single HSD incident. Not a single pinch finger, not a single band-aid, nothing. So this, wow. Yeah, big, 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 huge shout out to the That's players. That's amazing. To Neptune and to Equinor for pulling this project off without anybody getting hurt at all. And then to be able to put that much deep water oil back on the market is going to help everybody. Except if Europe keeps pushing its windfall tax, right? So this original field came on stream. It always goes back to windfall tax, doesn't it? Well, it's, <laughs> yeah. So this original field came on in 1997. Think oh. about that, right? They've come in, they've upgraded, they've done this additional drilling, some additional tiebacks. They're projecting that should produce at least another 250 million BOE, and it's going to produce for another 20 years. So this is the type of stuff that's going to help increase the amount of hydrocarbons on the market so we can get the world out of an energy shortage, but only if our world's politicians get out of the way. All Speaking right. of politicians. All right. All right. California City can't enforce natural gas ban, appeals court says. Yes. So this is really interesting. So, so California City and California, huh? <laughs> While we're in Oklahoma City. In so Oklahoma. this is actually, yeah, <laughs> this is actually Berkeley, California. Oh. Yeah. So what happened is the city of Berkeley enacted a law at the construction level saying that no new buildings could have natural gas, plumbing, or hookups. Now, what's really fascinating about this is it got brought back to this, the Ninth U.S. Court of Appeals. And the Ninth U.S. Court of Appeals rules over an extremely large area of the U.S., so not just California. The federal court looked at this really hard, and the countersuit was brought on by the Restaurant Association, who said, basically, if we can't use natural gas as a restaurant, we cannot cook food efficiently, and we'll go out of business. Now, the supporters of the natural gas ban said that switching to natural gas to electric heating and cooling was necessary to reduce carbon emissions. <sighs> However... The Ninth Circuit's ruling, which happened just this Monday, said that actually you're trying to create a monopoly, which goes back to law in the 1970s right? that says there can be no mandated single fuel source in the U.S. So this is going to be a ripple effect through half of the U.S. because it's Ninth U.S. Circuit Court. You're going to see other anti-fossil fuel groups try to either appeal this or try to go around this and restructure their laws so that this judgment doesn't apply to them. Mm. So this is going to be a constant battle between the people that want natural gas as an energy shorts. So and just like a big waste of money. Huge waste of money, right? I mean, because that's what California does, right? California does a lot of stuff. One of the things they're not going to do is be able to ban citizens from using natural gas, which is good. Good, good, good. That's some really great news. All right. Poland sets exclusion zone around LNG terminal. You don't want to try to pronounce No, I am Z? not even. <laughs> like, I looked at it and I went, mm-mm, no, not today. So this is an LNG terminal, right? Why do you think the country itself set an exclusion zone? I have no idea. They're worried about people blowing stuff up. You want to guess what people they're worried about blowing stuff up? I don't know. People that watch dumb movies like How to Blow Up a Pipeline? Nope. They're Just worried activists. about Russians. <gasps> oh, yeah. well, no, that makes sense. Well, yeah, because yeah, it is Poland. That yeah, makes so Poland is, sense. A, is a staunch ally of Ukraine. They're a hub for deliveries of weapons to Ukraine. And Poland has found itself quite often a target of Russian efforts to destabilize the country, both from espionage, cybersecurity, and all-out destruction of, of infrastructure. So in March, Poland said it broke up a Russian espionage network that was preparing acts of sabotage 
to this LNG terminal. So what they did is they enacted a 200-meter exclusion zone around this terminal. Now, the common people, so the public will not be affected by this, but anything that's not public, not the public people, that gets within 200 meters of this LNG terminal will be met by the Polish military. They're worried about the same thing that happened, Nord Stream 2 perhaps happening to some of their deep water connections. And so what they did is the right thing is they want to make sure they protect their infrastructure from bad foreign actors and at the same time allow them to move seaborne LNG to Europe to replace natural gas from Russia. So this is the smart thing for them to do. The Polish military is small but mighty. And I just really don't think that anybody's going to take a chance of a clashing with them. So this is one of those unfortunately things in the world in 2023 where countries are having to set zones around their critical infrastructure in order to protect their people and their interest. All right. Tennessee raises felony charge for interfering with oil and gas pipeline projects. Can we say good? Hell, can we say hell yeah? Hell yeah. <laughs> so in the past four years, Tennessee has passed a whole <laughs> bunch of laws, protection infrastructure from challenges. So if you remember a while back, I think it's 2016, you had a bunch of activists and the indigenous tribe, the Standing Rock Sioux tribe, actually attacked pipelines under construction. Remember with axes and vehicles and everything ah. else? And they actually passed criminal charges that got overthrown because the existing laws back then would not consider that a felony criminal charge. So Tennessee has written their laws, their state lawmakers, that now makes it a felony for any criminalized activity that destroys, injures, interrupts, or interferes with anything that's critical infrastructure. And it raises it from a class E felony to a class C felony Ooh. if the damages are at least $1,000 or more, which means if you're one of these protesters and you make $1,000 for the damage or more, you're mandatory going to jail. There's no if, ands, or buts. Good. And so what this bill is doing is taking the people that are going out with high-powered rifles and shooting substations and tearing up breaker boxes and junction boxes and taking access to pipeline and letting them know that not only will there be consequences to their actions, but the consequences will be severe. This type of legislation needs to happen in more states. All states. All states. If you notice, you don't get too many environmental activists destroying infrastructure in Texas. The reason is it's always been a felony in Texas to destroy critical <laughs> infrastructure. Oh, as it should be. As it should be. Okay, so Technip Energy is awarded contract for chemical complex in China. <laughs> notice, gonna... notice that I'm skipping words <laughs> in the gonna... titles of stuff because I didn't pick this week's articles. Marx did, and he likes to challenge me. No, that's not why I picked that. I just wanted, <laughs> I just wanted to hear you say hoo ha's. That's actually how you pronounce. <laughs> that's how you pronounce the chemical complex. I'm sorry. At least it's not dong, right? It's oh, so, oh, that's sweet. Thank so, you. So this is our buddies, Technip Energies, which is the spinoff from the Technip FMC merger from a few years ago. And so what's happening is they're building a actually extremely large polytrialing plant, PTT plant in Xinhai, China. Now this plant makes the precursor for PTT plastics, which is this what everybody's plastic water bottle is made from. The reason I have this in here is, number one, congratulations, Technique, for winning the contract for this petrochemical plants being in China. But this is another example that you've heard me talk about all year long about how if our politicians don't make it competitive to keep new infrastructure projects in the U.S. and in Europe, 
they're going to go someplace else. And it's a darn shame page where China is more politically stable than the U.S. if you're trying to build critical infrastructure like petrochemical plants. Said no one ever. Well, it's ridiculous. So this technology that Technique FNC is using was developed by them and Shell. The Shell Catalyst Division will be supplying catalysts to the PTO plant. And if you don't know what a catalyst is, a catalyst basically lowers the energy requirement for a chemical reaction. The PDO that's being made here, like I said, is a feedstock for PTT, which is what most plastics that you see and touch are made from. And then this is going to increase the amount of PTO on the world's market, which is going to lower the cost of plastics for the world. And like I've said before, the entire world is headed toward living in the cities by 2050. So the world's going to need these plastics. And once again, this is, you know, congratulations, Technic FMC for winning this contract. But this petrochemical plant really should have built, would have liked to have seen it been built here in the U.S. Yeah, but I mean, there's so many laws and regulations that's just... It's our current political environment. Yeah, no, that's that exactly no what it is. Yeah, so... All right, so Europe's extraordinary good fortune with winter weather. Yeah, so if you listen to me at the end of last year, I was really worried about Europe for this year in their winter. We both were, for sure. And luckily for Europe, their winter was about two degrees Celsius higher than the average. So they didn't burn as much fuel as they normally would to keep their people warm. So because the winter is warmer than normal, it helped reduce gas consumption and prices. However, one of the things that's not talked about in this article is that next winter, even if they have the same warmer winter they have this year, there's not going to be enough natural gas supply. So next year is going to be really rough in Europe to keep their people warm. And there's no shortcut. You know, we talked about how the Germans are building critical infrastructure to import LNG that here in the U.S. we're building the infrastructure need to export it. The ships are being built, but there's a five to seven year lag time between the time Europe wants to move from Russian natural gas to the time that we actually can build the infrastructure to actually export the gas. And that's if our politicians allow this to happen. So this is good that the temperatures were warmer in Europe. Winter was not as severe, but next winter is going to be really rough no matter what the winter's like for them. Oh, here's an article I was actually going to add to the whole list. BP kicks off Argos platform production in U.S. Gulf of Mexico. I think out in Green Canyon. I actually think you're right. And you know what's cool about this? What? It's a deep water project. Well, yeah, that's where yeah, Green Canyon Field is a, yeah, very deep water. Deep water projects are expensive. And a, lot of, and a lot of people a few years ago said that deep water would never come back. And I actually knew it would come back. I just think it would come back this quickly. So this is the Argus offshore platform. It's their newest production facility. They haven't done anything in about 10 years. This thing's going to be producing about 140 million barrels per oil per day. It's going to increase BP's operations in the Gulf of Mexico by about 20%, which is sizable. And then they expect to continue to ramp up production from Argus through this entire year. Is this part of their Mad Dog project? No. Okay. Uh, but this is the fifth BP Gulf of Mexico and first new BP operate production facility in the region since 2008. Mad Dog goes back further than that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, I tell you what was cool about this is that this is a very modern facility. It's humongous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and even though it's not a part of Mad Dog's operations, it actually is part of Mad Dog Phase 2 project. Oh, okay. That makes um, sense. Which extends the life of that super oil field that was discovered in 1998. Now, this is a high-margin project for BP, which is good because, unfortunately, they spend a lot of their money investing in renewables a little bit too early. And so they need to catch up with Chevron and Exxon, so they need the margins. And Shell, even. 
But some of the engineering that's went into this is incredible. This thing is. is I've tall. never seen. I've never seen topside like this before. This thing is twenty-seven stories tall. The deck, the deck is the length and width of an American football field. <laughs> it weighs more than 60,000 tons. It operates in 4,500 feet of water, and it's 190 miles south of New Orleans, and it will support 250 permanent jobs. Wow. Yeah. Now That's wild. Uh, because this is new, it has a lot of high-tech stuff in it. So it has their dynamic digital twin technologies. So uh-huh. every single thing on that platform is mimicked in the metaverse back on shore. So that if you want to change a pump, you can plug into the metaverse anywhere in the world. You can see what that pump looks like to the millimeter. You can disconnect it. You can take a new pump, see if it'll fit, see if it'll clear the bulkheads. That's wild. You can train your people on the actual platform, like once again, to the millimeter without them actually stepping on the platform. You can train them in... That hits some HSE metrics, huh? You can train them on man overboard, on advanced firefighting, all of this in the metaverse without somebody actually having to go out to the rig. But once you're trained, you go out to the rig, everything is exactly the same. And then, you know, your favorite robots, the spot oh, robots. Oh, <laughs> So s- several spots are on this rig working 24 hours a day doing fire watch. So all they're doing is they're walking around and they're videoing everything. And they're using AI to look for anything changed, especially fire or smoke. So as they walk around... If they see something new and it looks like fire or smoke, they will wake somebody up and go check this out without people having to do fire watch. And what a great use of AI and robotics. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so David Laurie, the chairman and president of BP America, said this demonstrates their company's continued commitment to investing in the U.S., which is good. I know David Lawler. We should get him on your show. Yeah. He used to be an executive at Sandridge when I worked for them. So we should get David on your show. Good idea. But this is good to see that BP has continued to invest in hydrocarbons, even though they're catching a lot of flack in social, especially in Europe, about their willingness to keep investing in hydrocarbons. The world needs hydrocarbons, and BP is going to make sure that we have them. Hell yeah. All right. Last one boarded tanker is found. So this happens off the coast of Africa. The Singapore Maritime and Port Authority just released that they have pulled this tanker back in, which is called the Success 9. It had been taken over by pirates. The super tanker had given a distress call. The pirates boarded the ship. The pirates then stripped quick valuables from the ship, and then they left on small, fast boats. The ship used the International Ship and Port Facility Security Code just to make sure that everybody knew that was happening. And then, once again, Singapore Maritime is advising all companies to report all pirate activity, both actual and attempted events. Now, the crew member there, there's about 20 crew members there of different nationalities. All of them survived. All of them were healthy. So we had no injuries. We had no deaths with this pirate attack. But this type of stuff going on off the Ivory Coast has started to increase and will continue to increase until these large vessels understand they need to spend money on their own small security forces to keep these vessels safe. Thank God for this one. Everybody's returned home safe and sound. And pirates off the Ivory Coast, I'm telling you, y'all need to stop doing this because it's getting ready to come down on you hard. Yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong. All right. That's the end of that. Let me look at the rig count. Well, while you're looking for the rig count, if you want to advertise with us, it's really easy. Go to OGGN.com pricing. 
We have all kinds of offerings for small independent shops up to large, you know, Fortune 100 companies. If you need exposure to the oil and gas industry, we got you covered. Then our conference page has been renamed. You might have heard me say this in the last show. It's now the Oil and Gas Global Network Conference. We still have exhibitor spots. It's in September. If you want to grab an exhibitor spot, not only do you get to speak and exhibit, we also have a podcast that you get an episode on so that we get to educate our audiences all year long, not just at the conference. If you want more details, there's a link in the show note. Weekly rig count. Where are we? Oh, sorry. I'm watching people play cornhole right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> good job. Good job. All right. So the United States is down three at 748. Canada's at... 111 down 16 internationally we're actually up 15 at 9:30. yeah i think the permians have a little bit of a bump in rig count so we'll keep an eye on that speaking of keep an eye on stuff if you want to know what we're doing like we're in oklahoma the best thing to do is go to our linkedin company page and just follow us you get all the updates there if you'd like to submit a question for first friday q a go to our website oilandgasthisweek.com or oggn.com both have places for you to submit a question remember the goal is not to stump page and i but to help educate it's not hard to stump our dude. audiences <laughs> and then if you'd like to know about all the conferences that are going on we have a free monthly oil and gas events email oh, maybe you'll even get to see us live that's true we will be at otc the first week of may at our podcast pavilion We've invited not just all of our podcasters, but every other podcaster I could find page that touches energy. Renewable, In some sort of solar, capacity, right? Yeah, by any stretch of the imagination. If you touch energy, if you touch energy business, and you'd like to come record with us, it's going to be a blast. All you need to do is show up. We'll get you free press passes. Reach out to me. I think we we're like booth 238 or something like that. Yeah, something, something to that effect. We don't have a lot of time. So if you want to come join us as a podcaster, reach out to me quickly. And if you'd like myself or any of our experts to come to speak at your event, like this one, I'll reach out. I'll be happy to share the details. And before we get out of here, I want to grab my glass of red wine <laughs> and I want to give a toast. Mm-hmm. Today's April 18th. Back in April 18th, 1983, the Marine Barracks was bombed in Beirut. Mm. So quick toast to all my fellow Marine brothers that didn't make it back. Till Vahara, Semper Fi. Ready to get out of here? Yeah. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.